Well, welcome again. Um, we are talking about the difficult sayings of Jesus. But first, I just want to say again how happy I am that you guys are here, that you have chosen to be with us today. Those of you who are joining us online, I appreciate it so much. My name is Doug Vernon. I'm the senior minister here. And as Tim mentioned earlier, we're thankful for your presence. We're happy that you're with us in person and online, and especially if you're a guest with us for a first time, uh, we'd love to be able to connect with you. And you can take your phone out and you can text the word welcome and type in this number, 636-206-8654, and we'll be able to communicate with you and provide you with some more information. Or if you would rather, there's a connect card in the seat back in front of you. You can fill out and you can put that in the offering box as you leave today. Those of you who are online, you can uh, fill out the Connect card there. But again, we're so very happy to have you with us. There's a couple things that I uh, want to mention to you this morning. Um, first of all, um, we have in our church um, the most significant way that we develop relationships. And we've learned over the last year we need those relationships together, right? The last really almost a year and a half. And so for us as a church family, we do that through our small groups, through connecting beyond this big group of people into a small group gathering. And so this is the season in which we're getting people signed up for the fall. So you'll notice in the seat when you sat down, you actually had to move it to sit down, a paper form so that you can fill that out and sign up for our small groups. Those of you who are online, there's a link there to be able to provide for our small groups. It goes to our website, or if you're present and you'd rather fill that form out, just go to our website and be uh, type uh, push on the small group link, and it'll take you to that form. Um, even if you're a part of small groups, we want you to sign up so that we know that. Um, we're going to have a leaders meeting this next, win uh, this next Saturday. We will begin September the 19th, that Sunday, and so we invite you to be a part of that and build relationships that can help you grow closer to the Lord and focus every single day on Him. So my senior year of high school, I got cut from the men's basketball team. Um, my best friend and I, Clay Johnson, he lived down the street from me, we got called down to Coach Roberts' office, and Coach Roberts pulled out the statistics for the summer that we had been there and then for the tryouts, and guess whose two names were at the bottom of every single one of those lists of statistics? It was Clay and it was me, and so we saw the handwriting on the wall. It was, I, I hated being rejected. It was just, it it felt terrible. I, I especially felt terrible being excluded from this team, guys that I knew, not getting to travel, you know, not being able to be a part of the practices, not being able to be a part of the team. It just felt terrible to feel excluded. Now, it's one thing, it's one thing to be excluded from a basketball team or maybe from the band or maybe from some team at work that, you know, they're doing a project. But it's, imagine what it would feel like to be completely and totally excluded from being able to go to heaven. Completely and totally excluded from heaven. Now, there is a segment of our society that feels excluded from going to heaven. Now, there's a lot of different reasons for that, but part of the reason is what they tend to view or see as Scripture being somewhat exclusive, isolating. And there's a couple of verses that speak into that, but the verse that we're going to take a look at today kind of stands at the forefront of that. 
So here's what Jesus says in Luke chapter 13, verse 24. He says, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, here's what he says, I tell you, will try to enter and they will not be able to. Now, another gospel writer by the name of Matthew records those words in this way in Matthew 7. It's again Jesus speaking, and he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. And so there's a segment of our society that says, well, you know, that just seems so exclusive. It seems like it's a click, right? It just seems as if, you know, Jesus is kind of being narrow-minded in who he lets into heaven. And so the reason we are looking at that particular passage of Scripture today is because there's a lot of confusion around that. And so we're in this series called The Difficult Sayings of Jesus. The Difficult Sayings of Jesus And a part of the reason we're looking at this, again, we're going through the Gospel of Luke this year. And the whole idea is because we want you to get to know Jesus better. We want you to seek after Christ with everything you and I have. And so we're spending time in the Gospel of Luke because we want to get to know Jesus better. But if you're like me, you come across some passages in the Gospel of Luke, really anywhere in the Bible, and you read that and you go, what on earth is he talking about? That... I don't even get that. That doesn't even make sense to me, or that, that seems wrong, or that doesn't fit with the way I tend to be able to see life. And so I don't want you to get discouraged as you read through the Gospel of Luke, as you read through any part of the Bible, because again, with a little bit of help, a little bit of digging, a little bit of communication, we can figure those passages out. So the first week, we took a look at the passage in which Jesus says, you can't take new wine and pour it into old wineskins. No, we're not supposed to open a winery, but what he was talking about is you cannot mix the old covenant of law with the new covenant of grace. And what we learned together is that our spiritual practices aren't the things that make us spiritual. Don't just check off a box and say, okay, I made God happy, I showed up to church today. It's about a relationship. Then last week, we looked at a very challenging passage of Scripture in which Jesus says, um, anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit cannot be forgiven. It sounds so ominous, right? They cannot be forgiven. But what we learned is that if a person in their life continues to reject the testimony of the Holy Spirit for Jesus and the conviction of the Holy Spirit that he brings to bear on everyone in the world, if we do that continually in our life, we reach a point where forgiveness isn't even possible. But for us, what did we learn? We learned we need to keep our hearts soft towards God, allowing God to continue to speak in our heart and in our life. And so today we're taking a look at this challenging passage that I said from from Luke chapter 13. So I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to Luke 13. There's a Bible in the seat in front of you. You can take out your phone or your tablet. We'll have it up on the screen. Those of you online, you can click on the Bible tab there. But it's Luke chapter 13 is the passage that we're going to look at today. And as I mentioned earlier, it really seems very cliquish. You know, like... You guys think you're the only people that get to go to heaven. That just seems so narrow-minded. And it's some interesting words that Jesus uses. He talks about entering through the door, and he talks about the feast at the kingdom, in the kingdom of God. 
And what is he talking about using those phrases? The door itself represents the, the step a person takes to be saved, into salvation, to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And then this feast in the kingdom of God is a phrase or a picture that God often uses through Scripture with a lot of other phrases that describes what heaven is going to be. It's like this big banquet, this big feast that we are able to enjoy together. And so what Jesus is teaching us today in this particular passage of Scripture is that anyone can open, uh, walk through the door and receive salvation, but you cannot enter the feast if you don't step through the door. You cannot go to heaven if you don't step through the door of salvation. And so my prayer today for you present and for those of you who are online is that this might be the day when, if you haven't yet, that you would step through the door and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to start reading in verse 22 through verse 30. You follow along as I read this together. Luke writes these words. He says, Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. And someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? And he said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you'll stand outside knocking and pleading, sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, we ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from the east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last. So why is Jesus on his way to Jerusalem? Well, he's on his way to Jerusalem to die. He is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He's on his way to Jerusalem to give his life for every single one of us. And so that's his destination. That's why he's on this earth. But in the meantime, he's traveling through these towns and villages, and someone stops him, and they ask him this particular question. Verse 23, he says there, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? Now, it's kind of an interesting question. Are only a few people going to be saved? And it may have been genuine, but what you need to understand is that this was one of those hotly debated topics by all the theologians of that day and some of the Jewish religious leaders. Is everybody going to be saved? Are only a few people going to be saved? And uh, there was a big group of Jews who felt like, if I'm born a Jew, I'm saved. There was another group that were Jewish who felt like, no, only the Jews who are really faithful to God are saved. And then there was a small segment that said, oh, no, only if you follow the way of the Pharisee. Will you be able to be saved? So it was this hotly debated topic. The reality was it was just a way to avoid personal responsibility. I mean, you've probably had conversations with people that this happens, right? In other words, they bring up these kind of topics because they want to avoid, most people want to avoid kind of taking that responsibility. Maybe you've even said some of these kind of things. How, how can you believe in a God who allows so much evil in the world? I mean, how can you say that there's only, how can Jesus say there's only one way to the Father? I mean, that's just, 
I mean, that's just so narrow-minded. I mean, how can you believe in a God who would actually send people to a place like hell? Now, for some people, those are genuine questions, but most people, at least the ones I've tended to have conversation with, they're, they're just questions to try to divert from taking personal responsibility for the choices that they make in their own life. And so what does Jesus do in this passage? He takes what is a, a theoretical question, and he turns it into a practical question. And it goes from, will few be saved, to will you be saved? And he makes it very personal to you and to me as we look at this passage of Scripture. So look on in verse 24. He says this, Make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us, but he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Why does he use this phrase, narrow door? I mean, it literally means a door that's not wide. So does that mean only thin people get to go to heaven, right? Because it's a narrow door? You know, maybe what Jesus is talking about here is that it's a door that you don't just kind of casually wander through. You know, it's not like a big, huge, massive door that maybe at a museum or someplace like that, and you're just walking around, and all of a sudden you realize, oh, I just walked through another door. No, this is a, a narrow door, meaning it's there and everyone can see it, but it takes an intentional choice to walk through this particular door. I don't get to just happen to wander through this door. It is a narrow door, but it is also a narrow door because it is... Oh, really, it's entering as defined by Jesus, as opposed to a door that's defined by you and me. Because that's something that we all wrestle with, isn't it? It's this idea that, man, it seems so narrow when Jesus says there's only one way to be able to go to heaven. And so what Jesus is doing is challenging us by asking have you entered in through the narrow door that's been defined by me, or are you trying to get into the door that's been defined by you or by other people? Now you may stop and say, wait a minute, Doug, I thought that salvation was by grace. It is a free gift, right? By grace, through faith. And you're exactly right. Jesus here is not talking about trying to earn your way into heaven. What Jesus here is talking about is an attitude. The attitude that says, well, you know, salvation is kind of a good thing, but, you know, I'm not quite certain about that. Or an attitude that says, I'd like to be able to debate, you know, who really gets to go to heaven? I'd like to be able to have a discussion about that. But to turn it somehow into a choice that I have to make or a decision that I happen to make. And what we want to do is be able to have a human speculation about how to get into the door. And what Jesus is saying is, no, no, no. I define how you get into that door. It is a door of salvation. Now, he's also saying to us that the door is open. 
Every single person can walk through this door to enter in and be a part of this feast, to be able to be saved, to be able to go to heaven. It is an equal opportunity door. In fact, if it hadn't been for the fact that Jesus died on the cross, there would be no door. There would be no way to heaven. And so Jesus, through his life, opens the door for every single one of us to go to heaven, but it is a path that is marked by God. I mean, it may feel better for you and I to be able to say, well, God's going to let everybody into heaven, right? But that's not what Scripture teaches. And that's not what Jesus is telling us in this passage of Scripture. Why would he say to make every effort? And the reason is because someday the door is going to be shut. In fact, look at what he says to those people. It's so sad. He will answer, "I, I don't know you or where you come from. I mean, mercy and grace from God is freely given to the entire world. I mean, Luke talks about that again and again and again, the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus, that he came to open the door, to pay the way for us to be able to go to heaven. But that mercy and grace has an expiration date, and that date is when that door is shut. Now, the door is shut at our death, but the door is also shut when God says time is no more and Jesus Christ returns to this earth and judgment time comes. As we read this passage, though, it's really important to recognize that Jesus is speaking to a large group of God-fearing Jews, okay? The people who are listening to this and the things that Jesus is teaching here These are people that believe in the one true God. They believe in the authority of the Old Testament scriptures. They believe absolutely that a Messiah is coming. These are not people who have no belief in God. They readily believe in God. But listen to what Jesus is teaching them and saying to them. Look, starting in verse 26. It says, Then you will say, Well, we ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from the east and the west and the north and the south and will take their places at the feast of the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last. Inclusion doesn't come because... I'm born in the right nation. Inclusion doesn't come because of proximity. Inclusion doesn't come because, well, I listen to a lot of sermon tapes about Jesus Christ. Inclusion doesn't come because I go to the right church. It's not about proximity, about having, you know, eating and drinking with Jesus. It's about knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus, having this intimate relationship that begins with putting my faith and my trust completely and totally in Jesus Christ as my Savior. It's about knowing Jesus and how he affects every single moment of our days. How he is a part of every single day of our life. And one must step through the door. And it's so sad to be in such close proximity and yet never stepped through the door. I mean, again, think about what it would have been like in that day to have been a Jew. You have spent your entire life 
living by the law and living by the regulations of the Old Testament. And then to have this one come and claim to be the Messiah, I mean, for so many of them, it was like they couldn't take that step. They couldn't move beyond just being able to see who Jesus is. They were so close, and yet they were so far away. And yet the door was open to them. The invitation was open to them. Now, there are a couple of doors in the United States that the only way you're going to ever get through them is by an invitation. And the White House is one of those doors. Anybody here been able to be in the White House? You, you don't go to the White House without an invitation of some sort, setting up a beforehand. So um, it was in 2009, Shaquille O'Neal was uh, in D.C. doing a sports radio talk show. He was being interviewed. You know, Shaquille O'Neal, NBA superstar, seven foot one, 325 pounds. He's difficult to miss, and most people tend to recognize who Shaquille O'Neal is. So he's on this radio talk show, and he's kidding around with somebody, and he says, I wonder if I could get President Obama to let me into the White House. If I just walked up there, you know, if I just went and knocked on the door, you think he'd let me get in there? And so they were bantering around, and finally somebody kind of, you know, challenged him to do that. And so um, that was a Friday. On Sunday, he got a suit and tie on, right? All seven foot one, 325 pounds of Shaquille O'Neal went up to the front gates of the White House there, the security. And do you think they let him in? Absolutely not, because he didn't have any kind of invitation. And he sent some funny tweet after that about crying to President Obama that he didn't get invited. I'm sure it happened later on, right? But it was like, he didn't have an invitation. He could not get in the door. But every single one of us has received the invitation to step through the door of salvation, and it comes because of Jesus Christ. But this is a warning. It was a warning to Jews. It's a warning to all of us who are churchgoers. You know what? Just because you're born in America doesn't make you a Christian. You know, just because you go to a St. Louis Cardinals baseball game doesn't mean you're a Major League Baseball player. Just because you show up in church doesn't mean you get to go to heaven. I mean, it's, it's a warning to all of us. It's a warning to recognize, what's my view of this, of this idea of salvation? Is it mine? Did I make it up? Or did I get that idea from other people? Or does that idea come from the truth and teaching of Jesus Christ? I mean, look again what he says there in verse 24. Make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. How do people try to enter and not able to? Because they try to do it on their own deeds or on their own goodness. That they say, well, you know, there's a whole bunch of roads to heaven. They all lead to the same place. They, they, they try it on their own, but the only way to enter the door is the Jesus way. And why is that? It's because of who he is. No other king could vanquish the war horse or silence the warrior's rage while riding the lowly back of a donkey. No other king could break the dominion of darkness, the tyranny of evil, with a reign of grace and a kingdom of peace. No other king could give his life for the redemption of rebels. 
his wealth to welcome the outcast. Jesus is that king, the king of glory, son of the living God. Not just another king, not just another prophet, not just another teacher. He was the one the world had been waiting for. The one to deliver us from captivity, the son of David and Abraham's chosen seed. He is the goal of the Mosaic law, Yahweh in the flesh. He is the one to establish God's reign and rule, to heal the sick, give sight to the blind, freedom to the prisoners, and proclaim good news to the poor. This Jesus was the creator come to earth and the beginning of a new creation. He embodied the covenant, fulfilled the commandments, and reversed the curse. This Jesus is the Christ that God spoke of to the serpent, the one prefigured to Noah in the flood, the one promised to Abraham, the one guaranteed to Moses before he died, the one promised to David during his reign, the one revealed to Isaiah as a suffering servant, the one predicted through the prophets and prepared for through John the Baptist. The Father's Son, Savior of the world, and substitute for our sins. More loving, more holy, and more wonderfully terrifying than we ever thought possible. He is our Jesus, and there is no other king like him. He is our God, our glory, our victorious Savior. There is no other king like him. There is no other king. So how does one step through that door? I might just want to take a couple of moments and just, you know, talk with you about that. I, it's, it's such a crucial conversation to have. The only way that you and I step through that door of salvation is by putting our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We can't depend upon ourselves, you know, can't say, you know, I went to church every single Sunday, Jesus, I was nice to the preacher, you know, I gave money to love the Lou. We, you, it's only by putting our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. And how do we do that? We put our trust in Jesus Christ, number one, by repentance, by recognizing that it is my sin and I'm responsible for my sin, and it is my sin that keeps me from being able to have eternity in heaven with God. It is my sin that put Jesus Christ on the cross. It is only by repenting and recognizing the, the state of that sin and realizing what that did to Jesus Christ, I must repent of my sin. I also put my faith in Jesus Christ by confession, by standing before a group of people like today and saying, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, declaring outwardly, publicly, what I believe to be true in my heart. Because salvation is a decision that's not just a personal decision, private decision that I make. It is a, it is a public declaration of who Jesus Christ is. And we put our trust in Jesus by baptism. It's interesting because of the picture that Scripture gives us of baptism. It's called like a mock tomb. It's like we die to our old self and we come up a brand new person. And that's why you never ever see in Scripture it described as being something like sprinkling. It's always to be immersed, always all the way down because we die to our old self, we come up a new person, and there's nothing magic in the water. 
but it is the step of obedience that connects us with the blood of Jesus Christ that Scripture talks to us about. See, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem to pay the price for your sins and for my sins. And so this conversation, the answer to this question that he has, takes it from being something very theoretical to something very personal. Will few be saved to will you be saved? Because it's a personal choice. It's a decision that you have to make. Somebody else cannot make that choice for you. And I know because that some of you have been thinking about making this decision for a period of time. It's been on your heart. It's been on your mind, right? Maybe, you know, maybe there was a time um, years ago or maybe it was at home or maybe it was somewhere else where you prayed this prayer and you said, Jesus, I desperately need you. But have you publicly confessed that faith before other people? Because that's what God's Word declares to us, that we need to publicly state this belief that we have. With our mouth, we make this confession. Maybe some of you, um, maybe you were sprinkled as an infant, right? And it says so much for your parents that they wanted you to have that faith in God. And yet that wasn't your decision, was it? You, you didn't make that choice. Somebody else made that choice for you. Salvation is a personal choice. And again, it's this picture of dying to ourself. And that's why Scripture always has the word immersion in there. We read it as baptism, but it always means to go completely under the water. Maybe you've gone to church, you know, your whole life. And yet you've never, ever said, Jesus, I need you to be in my Lord and Savior. You've never fully put your trust in Jesus Christ. You've never repented and confessed his name and been baptized into him. You and I need to recognize that the door is open to all, anyone. And yet the warning that Jesus gives to us is someday that door will be closed. And when that door is closed, there's no second chance. There is no purgatory that the Bible talks about. There's no place that you can go and work off your sins. People cannot pray you into heaven from this earth. There is only this opportunity in this life. And once that opportunity is over, the door closes. And we have no second chance. But there's also a great encouragement here. Because to those of us who have said yes to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior who've made that decision. I mean, there's such a, a confident assurance in our hearts and our lives. It doesn't mean that we still don't sin or struggle, but what it means is we recognize it's not based upon me, but it's based upon what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross. In fact, John writes these words in 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 11. He says this, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And I love this part. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So that you may know. What, what an amazing opportunity that you and I have before us this day. You can step through the door today. You cannot enter the feast if you don't step through the door. 
But today is the day that you can make that choice and you can make that decision. Here in a few moments, we're going to be singing together. I'm going to invite the, the praise team to come up here. And as we sing this, today this is a song of, a, of an invitation for you to say, you know what, today's the day that I need to confess Jesus as Lord. I need to declare my faith and trust in Him. I need to be baptized into Him today. And you can be baptized even today. We have a baptistry. The water's warm. We have towels. We have shorts. We have t-shirts. We have everything that you need. Even if your hair gets all messed up, that's okay, right? You, you, can, you can go home and get it all fixed up again. But maybe for you today is the day to declare, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And if you're online... You know, today is a day that you can make that decision. I mean, just put in the chat box or text Ralph there and say, Ralph, I, I need to make this decision today, and we will talk to you about that this day. And so as we sing this song about Jesus, our Savior, if you need to make that decision today, I'm going to be right down here in the front, and I'd love to be able to talk to you about that choice today. Imagine, though, imagine the impact on your life if you walked out of this place today with the assurance of your salvation, knowing that Jesus has forgiven you, imagine the impact it could have on your family, on your kids, on where you go to work. Imagine the difference that it could make for you. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to make this invitation to every single one of you today. Will you stand with me? Let me pray for us, and then we'll worship. Lord. We love you. You have provided the way of salvation. You've clearly told us how to, re how to receive that salvation by putting our faith and trust in you, Jesus Christ. And so today, Lord, if there's anyone who needs to say yes to you, would they do that today, Father? We love you, and in your most precious name we pray, amen.